Well, good morning again. We are going to take a little break from our study through First Peter so we can do a little uh, special Sunday before Christmas study. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and these guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 20. And also turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Just put a bulletin or put a bookmark there. But we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Okay, Isaiah, the Lord speaks through, says in verse 18 of chapter 1, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The title of my message this morning is The Purpose of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that as we study your word, that you speak to our hearts truths that can transform our lives and draw us closer to to you and our relationship with you. We thank you for the love that you've given to us. We thank you for allowing us to gather in this place this morning freely, without fear of interruption. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and in this fellowship. We do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again, they're not sold out for you. Lord, I pray that um, you'd especially speak to their heart, they'd come to know you as Lord and Savior. Uh, Lord, just bless our time together, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Read a story about a rich man that was determined to give his elderly mother a Christmas present that she would never forget. And he found this talking bird that actually had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak in five different languages, and sing opera. Well, he immediately bought the bird, even though it cost him $20,000, and he had it delivered to his mom. The next day, he phoned her to see if she had received it. What do you think of the bird, he asked. She replied, it was delicious. Not really the purpose of the gift, but what a, what a surprise. You know, Christmas is all about surprises. You know, you, you wrap those gifts with the tight wrapping paper and all the tape and the bows, and, and you're just excited about seeing what's inside of them. Parents, you know, they play tricks on their kids, uh, you know, just about every Christmas, hiding that special present someplace they can't see or out in the garage, like a new bike or something like that. I think in the movie A Christmas Story and all Ralphie wanted was that official Red Ryder Carbon Action 200-shot range model air rifle. <laughs> Opened all the presents and, and nothing was there. And finally, said, oh, Ralphie, there's one more under the tree. Perhaps you've had some surprises at Christmas time in the past as well. I like maybe waking up to a white Christmas. I like those Christmases. Just so beautiful and clear and the snow is on the ground and it looks just like a postcard outside. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I've absolutely enjoyed those days we had last week when it was 70, 73, breaking the heat record. Uh, now, this is nice. So if it just goes like 75, 80 until Christmas, then we have snow, and then 75 after that, that would be great. Possible in Missouri, but, you know. But I think most of us like enjoy waking up on Christmas Day to see this ground covered in this bright white snow. And, and, I, and I think that's why songs like, you know, White Christmas are so popular over all these years. Do you know that according to Guinness World Book of Records, White Christmas, sung by Bing Crosby, is not only the best-selling Christmas holiday single in the United States, but it's also the best-selling single of all time. Estimated sales ex- exceed of 50 million copies worldwide. But here's what's interesting about that song. The song was written by Irving Berlin in 1942 while he was living in Palm Springs, California. Average temperature in Palm Springs in December is 70 degrees. Their all-time high for December was 86 degrees. So here he is, living in Palm Springs, sitting under some palm trees with 70 to 80 degree weather outside, and he's writing this song. Now this guy, he was originally from Russia, Belarus, Russia. He's moved to New York when he was a child with his parents, but now he's looking at the swaying of the palm trees in these 80s, and he's going, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. The ones I used to know where the treetops glisten and the palm trees and children listen and they hear the sleigh bells in the snow. And, and it's a beautiful song. It's a popular song. We love white Christmases. And I love it, like I said, looking out and seeing the white landscape. I like snow for that reason. My planters that are filled with weeds, they, they don't, you don't see the weeds. It's all, yeah, look how good my lawn looks. Look how good my, my planters look. It's for that reason I ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 18 here, God is saying to his people through the prophet Isaiah in verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now let me give you a quick background as to what was going on at the time. God is speaking to religious people, to his people, his people who would come regularly to the temple and worship and bring sacrifices. But their life was a shallow life. There was a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of phoniness going on in their personal lives. It wasn't real for them. They were just going through the motions with all the rituals and all the pageantry and all. And so what God is saying basically here in this chapter is, I want you to go deeper than that. And I would think that if God could give us a message around Christmas time, He would want to give us that same message to us. They'd want to say the same thing to me and the same thing to you individually. Go deeper. Go beyond the decorations and the pageantry. I want you to go deeper in your relationship with me. You know, 88% of Americans claim to own a Bible. 60% of Americans claim some religious uh, affiliation of some kind. With all of that religion, I just wonder what difference does it make in our nation, in our community? Is it really changing anything? Does that change the crime rate or the divorce rate or the abortion rates? I think that's why God would say, we need as believers to go deeper. All these people are trusting in their political rulers, much like we are today, thinking if we only elect someone new, then all of our problems will be over. One pastor put it this way at the conference I went to recently, Christians today are looking more for Donald Trump to come back rather than looking for Jesus to come back. Listen, Jesus is the answer, not Washington. But during Isaiah's time, 
God's people, they were trusting in the kings or the political alliances that the kings had made with other nations around them, and they weren't trusting in the Lord. They would give then all the, the, the credit to the physical leader rather than to God, their spiritual leader, which is a lot, again, like what we see going on at Christmas today. One person put it this way, you know, Christmas is like a normal day in the office. You do all the work and the fat guy in the suit gets all the credit. Well, I think it's time that the fat guy in the red suit doesn't get any credit. That we give credit to where credit's due and that's the one who made this incredible offer to us to wash away our sin. See, Christmas is a reminder to us of God saying, I'm willing to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And that's the purpose of Christmas. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, an invitation. Number two, a consideration. Number three, a validation. Number one, an invitation. In other words, God makes the first move. God always initiates things. He's the one that says in verse 18, come now. That's his invitation. It's always been that way. Come now. You know, countless songs have been written about us coming to Christ, but it's always about God calling you to himself. There back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, we have a picture of man running from God and God running after man or pursuing man. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God called to Adam in Genesis 3, 9, saying, Where are you? Now, God knew where Adam was. He knows everything. But God was asking Adam, where are you in your life right now? He wanted Adam to confess his sin, which he did. So God came to him. There was a song written many years ago by singer Benny Hester. Those of you that are familiar with old Christian songs that you remember. It's called, I think, The Prodigal, I think it's called, or When God Ran. But, but I love the verse, the lyrics to the song. It goes, Awesome Lord, victorious warrior, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror. And the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me, took me in his arms, held my head to his chest and said, My son's come home again. Looked in my face, wiped the tears from my eyes with forgiveness in his voice. He said, Son, do you know I still love you? It caught me by surprise when God ran. Great lyrics. See, the people during Isaiah's time, they weren't coming to the Lord. They weren't confessing their sins. They were just living, doing their own thing. And we see a lot of that today. I mean, the last thing we see in, in our culture and our man around us is, is their, their need that they don't see is their need for a Savior. That's why God makes the first move. Christmas is all about God making the first move, God sending His Son, because He knows we wouldn't go on our own. In fact, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. God, took, God made the first move, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He's the initiator. Now I've heard people say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I was searching for God. No, God wasn't lost. God is the one that came searching for you after or when you first came to him. Isaiah puts it this way, speaking of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, a dead person can't go out and look around and see what he needs. 
has no ability to do so. He, he needs life. And if we were dead, the Bible says, in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. So God sends the invitation. Come now. Jesus put it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is the initiator. Come now, says the Lord here in Isaiah. It's an invitation. The primary message of Christmas is God had to take drastic measures to reach us. Christmas is about God's solution for sin. And that brings us to our second point, a consideration. The second thing I notice is that God wants our consideration. Look again at the beginning of verse 18. Come now, he says, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Now, according to Webster, that word reason means the the process of thinking about something in a logical way in order to form a conclusion or judgment. Court cases, they're decided if a person committed the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. read a story about a man named Jack Feinstein, a top defense attorney known for coming up with creative defenses for his clients. But on this day, Feinstein had an uphill battle. His client was on trial for murder. There was strong evidence indicating his guilt, but there was no corpse. There was no body. So in his closing statement, knowing that his client would probably get convicted, Feinstein came up with this trick. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all, Feinstein said as he looked at his watch. Within one minute, the person presumed dead in this case will walk into the courtroom. And he looked towards the doors of the courtroom door. The jurors, somewhat stunned, all looked on just as eagerly A minute passed, another minute, nothing happened. Finally, Feinstein said, Actually, I made up the previous statement, but you all looked on with anticipation. I therefore put to you that you have a reasonable doubt, in this case, as to whether anyone was killed, and insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. Well, the jury was confused. They retired to deliberate, and only a few minutes later, they, they, they returned and pronounced a verdict of guilty. But how, inquired Feinstein, you must have had some doubt. I saw you all stare at the door. The jury foreman replied, Oh, we all looked, but your client didn't. <laughs> Listen, God wants you to be reasonable about certain things in life. He wants you to think through some things so you have no doubt in your mind what He has done for you. That's why He says, Come now, let us reason together. And I find this interesting that God appeals to our reason instead of our emotion. Oftentimes we reverse that. We want to make it about some emotional appeal. Sometimes in a worship service you'll have a, a pastor get up and they'll get the people all pumped up and all moved emotionally and, and, and you know, he'll give an altar call and people will all come forward because they've been touched emotionally. Even though they have no understanding why they came forward, it's just this sudden flood of emotions. The problem is, once the feeling is gone, often so is the commitment. For God is calling us to use our brains, to use our minds, to reason together. Come now, he says, let us reason together. There's a letter written by a little boy wanting something special for Christmas. And so he began, dear God, there are three little boys who live at our home. There's Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, he's four. And there's Norman, he's seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. That sounds reasonable. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds reasonable. The Christian faith is a reasonable faith based upon facts of history that are reliable, that are true. Jesus truly was born in a manger. 
Jesus truly did grow up in a town called Nazareth. He really did minister for three and a half years. He was actually arrested. He was crucified. He was put to death on the cross. He was buried. He was placed in the tomb. And absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, with total evidence, rose from the dead three days later. It's a fact. It's a proven fact. On top of that, no other religious leader has ever predicted their own death and resurrection and actually accomplished it. Only Jesus Christ. So believing Him is based off of facts. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Therefore, knowing all of this, knowing all that Jesus has done for you, we owe Him our very lives. That's what Paul says in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's that word again. Reasonable service. It's just a biblical way of saying, looking all that God has done for you that you can never repay, but you should spend the rest of your life trying anyway. Here's my point. Sometimes people must be convinced of the truth before they can experience the truth or act upon the truth. They must be convinced, first and foremost, that they're sinners. They've got to know that they're sinners. And secondly, that God has made a way for them to be forgiven. And that's the invitation Come now, let us reason. I'm asking you for your consideration, God says. And then he explains it a little bit further. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He's offering redemption. And it's a reasonable offer. But notice, God isn't forcing anyone to take his offer. God never, ever forces anybody to take what he offers. Now, your eternity depends upon your decision, but it'll never force it upon you. Remember, Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open it, I will open the door and I will come in. He didn't say, Behold, I stand at the door with a bulldozer, and if you don't open it, I'm going to you know, plow your house down with you in it. No, he's knocking at the door. And he says, Listen, your sin, it's horrible. That's why I died for you. Your sin is terrible. It's like scarlet. It's red like crimson. Scarlet was the red dye made in those days from a certain species of worm that when you crushed it, out came this scarlet-colored goo. Whereas crimson was cloth that was dyed. In fact, the Hebrew word for crimson means dyed twice or double dyed. And the idea behind the imagery of what we're reading is a picture of this red, indelible stain that cannot be removed. Can't take it away. Nothing you can do can remove it. It's like the sad story I read of a little girl that was wearing her brand new white Christmas dress. Her parents didn't have a whole lot of money, but they scraped together just enough to buy the daughter the dress. And the dress had a special purpose. She was going to be singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, a solo at the Christmas program at the church. Young girl put the dress on in the morning just to see how it looked. And her parents gave her strict warning to change out of it as soon as she was done looking at it. Well, like most little girls, she couldn't bear the thought of removing the gorgeous white dress without immediately at least knowing what bright red nail polish would look like on her fingernails with the, red, with the white dress. And you know, children, they, they created Murphy's Law. You know what happened. The girl spilled some of that bright red nail polish on her brand new white dress. And try as she might to clean it off, the stain only grew in shape and size. Each hidden session of cleaning attempts only made her guilt feel that much worse. There's no hiding or disobedience. There's no removing that stain. Her heart was broken. How could she sing White Christmas with a bright red stain on her dress? Why had she not listened to her parents? That's what we're seeing here in Isaiah. 
Life can be like, like, like that brand new white dress now stained. We didn't mean for it to happen. And now we're trying to, to cover it up. And trying to cover up that sin, we're just making it worse. I mean, think about this phrase. Fill in the blank in your own life. I never expected to be. How would you fill in that blank? Never expected to be an alcoholic. Never expected to be hooked on drugs, addicted to porn. I never expected to, to have this bitterness in my heart towards this person. I never expected not to be speaking to my kids or my parents. I never expected to be out of fellowship and out of God's Word for so long. It's amazing how quickly we can spill that red nail polish on the fabric of our own lives. So what do we do about the stain? Bring it to the Lord. He's the ultimate stain fighter. God says, I'm willing to take it away from you to remove it. In fact, that's why he compares what he does to snowfall. Though your sins are like this huge big stain in your life, I can make your life as white as snow. I'm willing to let the, 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 the white snow of my forgiveness fall upon your soul so that the landscape of your life is pristine. It's white. It's pure. You know, snow is, is naturally pure. Wool is naturally white. The Lord's saying, you made a mess of your life. You've stayed it up pretty horrible, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm offering you forgiveness. David said in Psalm 51, verse 7, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. See, Lord saying, consider what I'm saying. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, can the Lord actually do that? Well, that brings us to point number three. Number one, an invitation. Number two, a consideration. Number three, a validation. You know, there are places, not here in Springfield, maybe you go to Kansas City or Washington, D.C. especially, and you go to park your car and it, it costs you an arm and a leg. But if you take that ticket that you have and go into that retail store and buy something from them, they'll validate it because they've paid for the, for the parking for you and, and so you get to park for free. Same way, Jesus paid the price for his sins and rose from the dead to validate proof of purchase. God demonstrates His own love towards us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, God's Word says, though our sins are like scarlet, He will make them as white as snow. Only Jesus can validate that statement based off of who He is and what He has done for you. Only Jesus can forgive us and cleanse us of all our sins because of His death and resurrection. It validates that He has the power to forgive. If I said to you this morning, I want to give you a million dollars so you can have just the most blessed Christmas ever. You go, Pastor, it's not right to lie. You don't have a million dollars. There's no way you can do it. But if Elon Musk walked up to you and said, I want to give you a million dollars so you can have the most wonderful Christmas ever, you could believe him because he could do it. You know, when the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and informed Joseph that his wife, or the angel, we don't know, I'm sure if it's Gabriel or not, but he came and informed Joseph his wife, to be uh, wife to be Mary was pregnant. The angel said, "You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Jesus, Yeshua, his name that means God is salvation. So you will give him a name, and his name will embody his mission. He will save his people from his sins because of who he is, God incarnate. He will, no question about it, he will save his people from their sins. And every Christmas, we talk about this because every Christmas, we celebrate this. 
We want to focus all of our attention on the offer that God is making to people through that baby born in the manger. This baby called Jesus, God is salvation. He will save his people from their sins. So what's the purpose of Christmas? Give us a few days off from work, a few days off from school, to make you poor because of all the gifts you have to buy. Maybe to give the merchants a bigger profit margin as they put up a manger scene in their window. It's the purpose of Christmas to celebrate a, a baby that was born who grew and is just a fine example of a man and all we need have to do is look at this fine example because Jesus just could, lived a good life. Let's just uh, model our life after the goodness and kindness of Jesus. No. Although that, that may all be true, it's not the purpose of Christmas. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That is the purpose of Christmas. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Acts 4.12 tells us there's salvation. There's not salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now let me make this clear. There's no salvation in the birth of Jesus. There's no salvation in the sinless, perfect life that Jesus lived. No salvation there. There's no salvation in the teachings of Jesus. There's only salvation in the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where his crimson blood was, was the detergent, the, 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 the snowfall, if you will, that would cover all of our sins. That's the deal. That's the offer. In fact, there is something else I want you to notice here in Isaiah 1. God gives them a choice. He says, if you are willing. Do you catch that? Look at verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, this is the ultimate, let's make a deal. God says, I'm going to make you an offer. not going to force it upon you, but if you're reasonable, if you're smart, you'll take the offer. You give me the guilt and the shame and the sin in your mess of life, and, and, and I'll give you what's behind curtain number two. And he opens curtain number two. I will clean up your life. I will forgive you. I'll give you a fresh start. I mean, the great thing about this deal is you see what's behind the, what you're trading for. Though your sins are scarlet, he'll make them as white as snow. That's what Christmas is all about, a fresh start. God says, can I do that for you? But if you refuse, he says, which you can, I'm giving you a choice. I love you that much. I didn't create you without the freedom to choose. You can refuse, but I'm telling you, you don't want to. Because it means bad things are coming. Judgment is coming. You shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me tell you, it's a great offer. It's a valid offer. And he can make that kind of offer because, again, of who he is. And with that, I want to finish up our study this morning by looking at Jesus' credentials to validate that he alone can take away our sin. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 9 now. Verse 6. I love looking at this section at this time of Christmas because, because it brings such comfort and, and hope this time of year. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah writes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love that. I want to look at each one of these names here and then we'll close. First Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Clear prophecy of Jesus coming to this earth. And the story of Jesus coming into this world is not so much the story of his birth as it is the story of a gift. 
For us, it was the entrance of Jesus Christ to the earth. But for God, it was a departure from His Son uh, from heaven. Now, we say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but in the reality of this, Christ had no beginning. He has no end. Because, of course, Him being God, He is, God, he is eternal. And yet God came and walked among us. Jesus chose willingly to leave the glory of heaven to walk among us here on earth. Emmanuel, God with us. He sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed his dignity. He sacrificed his very life for us. He who was infinite became an infant. He who was almighty walked in a limited body of a person. He who holds the universe in the span of his hands knew what it was like to face every strong constraint of human life. And he did it all for us. Again, he's the initiator. He came to us first. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. That is why we read the very next credential that validates who he is. The Lord says that his name shall be called Wonderful. Now we're skipping over it and the government will be upon his shoulder. We'll go back to that. But for right now, we see his name shall be called Wonderful. I like this word wonderful. It comes from the root word wonder. It can be translated amazement, surprise, astonishment, awe, admiration, bewilderment, and worship. I like all of those definitions because each one is a good reaction to what Jesus did for us. I'm amazed. I'm surprised. I'm astonished. I'm in awe. I admire Him. But I'm bewildered, but I worship. I, I'm in awe of the fact that God would care enough for me to send His Son to this earth, not only to be born, not only to live, but to die on the cross and bear my sins. Or as the psalmist said in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? It's wonderful. It's awe-inspiring. It's bewildering and it causes one to worship knowing this wonderful God personally takes away the dullness of life. No longer do we have to live off of the cheap substitutes that, that this world wants to give you in order to live life to the fullest. I don't need to find satisfaction in the things of this world because they will never satisfy but Jesus Christ can be can because He's wonderful. He gives you a reason to get up in the morning. You don't need alcohol. You don't need drugs. You don't need these false stimulants. You don't need fame or riches. All you need is Jesus. Next, He is our counselor. Now that, that takes care of the decisions in our life. Psalm 73 verse 24 says, You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Know that God wants to give personal counsel to you individually. God is very interested in the intimate details of your life. So often in this life, we kind of fly through blindly trying to figure out what we're going to do and, and where we're, we're going to go and how we're going to handle this or how we're going to handle that. And God is going, hey, let me speak to you. Let me guide you. I want to be your counselor. Well, how does he do it? How does he counsel us? Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Have problems right now going on in your life? Do you have some heavy decisions you need to make? Do you have questions? When was the last time you went to our counselor in heaven and said, Lord, I need direction? When was the last time you, you opened up your Bible and said, Lord, speak to me through your word. I need to hear from you. And actually spent time reasoning together with the Lord in Scripture. God wants us to go deeper in our relationship with Him, but that only comes from being in the Word. So seek the Lord for counsel. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. I like that verse. 
Pastor A.B. Simpson, he was the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He puts it this way. There is no difficulty, difficulty too intricate for him to unravel. There is no little detail of life too petty for him to take an interest in. There is no toil too tedious for him to go through with us. There is no tangle too involved for him to unthread and loose. There is no complication or difficult circumstances too extreme for him not to be willing to take hold and lead us gently out into the light. I love that. Then Isaiah says, His name shall be called Mighty God. That takes care of all the demands of life. Sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the things that we have to do and the problems and the challenges we face. Overwhelmed by all the political pandemic propaganda. (laughs) Three Ps. Overwhelmed by the responsibilities of being a mom or maybe being a dad or, or being a husband or a wife or being a son or a daughter or a good worker. Overwhelmed with responsibilities of maybe taking care of a parent or a grandparent. Or just plain overwhelmed with life, you know. It can be hard at times. Have you ever felt that way? Listen, God who is wonderful, this mighty God, will give you the strength to do what He's called you to do. He says, I want to get involved in your life. I want to counsel you. I want to give you the power to follow through with the counsel that I give. I want you to go deeper in my relationship with you. So not only is there a wonderful God, not only is our almighty God, not only is there to counsel us, He is also the next one, the everlasting Father. That takes care of the dimensions of life. It's a reminder that life is not limited to what we experience on this earth. That life will someday come to a close for us, but because of what Christ did, being born, crucified, and resurrected from the dead, we have hope, life beyond the grave. And then finally, He's the Prince of Peace. That takes care of the disturbances you have in your life. The storms and the trials that we all face and the troubled and violent world, He offers peace. In our troubled homes, maybe you come from one right now, He can bring peace. And in our troubled cities, our troubled lives, Jesus, again, He's the answer. He's the Prince of Peace. You know, the definition of peace is the absence of conflict, a state that exists when our needs are met and our situation is comfortable. But Jesus expounds so much more from that definition. He promises peace that surpasses our circumstances. It makes perfect sense to be at peace when all is well. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, says, says I'm going to give Peace to you that surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but by everything through prayer and thanks, supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So He is the Almighty God, Everlasting Father, who wants to counsel you, to help you, to give you peace. He wants to change you. And finally, let's go back to the one I skipped. He says, and the government will be upon His shoulder. I skipped this one because I want to close with this one. You know, this time of year, especially as we get closer to Christmas, many of us experience some form of grief. And every year I think about this. I meet people all the time. They're dealing with some sort of loss. Usually, well, you know, almost for everybody, Christmas is sweet. But, but it's also bitter. It's kind of a bittersweet because almost everybody has lost somebody out of their lives. And Christmas can be a big reminder that there's an empty chair in that house, that you know, that there's an empty bed in my house. Somebody is gone, and I'm, I'm at a great loss. And that memory can be so painful, especially at Christmas time. So the question is, could, could Christmas be for people like that? Could Christmas be for those that have suffered great loss? And, and again, there are many of us who have lost loved ones and friends, and, and around, you know, especially this last year. And I think it really lays heavy on our hearts. 
And they think, oh, Christmas is so hard, it's painful. Let me, let me tell you this. Listen carefully. God is near to those who have a broken heart. Psalm 34, 18. Let me say that again. God is near to those who have a broken heart. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. See, Isaiah is telling us there's a light is coming. Though you may experience darkness now, though you've lost loved ones and you might have an empty chair this Christmas, heaven is fuller. And one day there's going to be a reunion so amazing that words cannot even describe it. And let me tell you, I am so looking forward to that. That's why I believe Christmas is especially for people who lost or, or, or hurt or suffered. Because Isaiah is speaking of that future day. A day yet to come. A day when Christ will return to this earth and establish His kingdom and His government will be upon His shoulder. He'll rule righteously as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says we will rule and reign with Him alongside those we love that love Jesus and are with Him now. It's going to be amazing. Let me say this. I've said this over and over again. I'll continue to say it until we're taken home. When it comes to Bible prophecy, there is nothing left to be fulfilled except the rapture of the church. We are closer to the return of Jesus Christ than we've ever been at this very moment. And let me, let me tell you, amen, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't dread that day. You look forward to it. You know, much like a kid looking forward to Christmas. We're looking forward to the soon return of Jesus. But listen, before He could come and bear the government upon His shoulder, He had to come and bear our sins upon the cross. Before He would come and wear the crown of gold, He had to first come and wear the crown of thorns. Jesus' death and resurrection validated everything Christ came to do and did. And before we can be assured we will be with Him in eternity, we have to do our part. We have to come to Him, we have to confess our sin and turn from it today. And that goes back to how we started. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool, if you are willing and obedient. Come now, let us reason. So if you're a believer here this morning, and you're struggling and hurting, come to Jesus. Cast all your cares on Him. The Bible says He cares for you. He's the mighty God. Holy Spirit, a great comforter, come to Him. You'll find comfort. You'll have peace. Maybe you've been struggling with some sin in your life. Come now, says the Lord. Let us reason together. Maybe you're having some marital problems, perhaps some family problems. Maybe there's some problems at work, some problems in your personal life. You don't know what to do. Come to the living Christ. Get counsel and say, Lord, help me. I need you now more than ever. Maybe you've gone a little bit astray in this last year. You haven't completely backslidden, but you just sort of pushed God out of the center of your life. You've been going around making decisions on your own and doing what you want to do. And as a result, you've got more problems, lots of them. Come back to the Almighty God, back to the council and say, Lord, I've made a mess of things. I need your help. Maybe some of you have completely turned your back on God and even gone astray. It's time for you to come back to Him. As we close, I want to give you an opportunity. You don't have to take it. You have a choice. But I'm telling you, it's the best choice you can take. I'm going to give you the opportunity this Christmas season to make a sense of your life, to get your sin forgiven, to have a new start, a fresh start, a walk with the Lord. And it comes by a simple act of faith on your part of repenting of your sin and placing your life into the hands of the one who gave you life to begin with our Lord. The one born in a manger, grew up, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now lives to make intercession for you. 
Listen, I'm giving you the opportunity, as I said, you don't have to take it, but you need to know that Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, is saying to you this morning, here's my invitation. Come now, let us reason together. Know your life. Know it's horrible. I know it's it's been full of sin, but, but let's make a deal. I'll take all that sin. I paid for it upon the cross. I'll forgive you of it. You confess it. You'll, have, you'll, you'll be white as snow. You'll have a new beginning. Just come to me and repent. I want to give us that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for the offer of forgiveness. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that has never made that commitment to you, they don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, but after hearing these words, your word and, and, and your Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts, Lord, I pray that they would listen and be obedient to your word and they would find eternal life this morning. They, they would be born again today. Lord, I heard you bow and our eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again? You want your sin forgiven? You want that guilt and shame taken away? If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, would you just raise your hand if you want Christ so I could pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? I think we're all walking with the Lord this morning, but maybe, you know, maybe there's some other things we need to bring to the Lord. Maybe we've been, been you know, kind of doing our own thing, and this is the time that we can say, Lord, I want to go deeper. Lord, I want to recommit my life to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to recognize that you've, you've fallen away. One time you knew, but you want to recommit your life to Him. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Anybody all want to make a, a recommitment, rededication to the Lord? Thank you, Lord, for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to proclaim who you are and the great things you have done. Lord, I ask your blessing upon our church family here, Lord, that you would give them the most blessed Christmas season. The kids, Wednesday night when they come out, Lord, bless them in the practice they've had. Lord, the Christmas Eve service, we ask your blessing upon that. And Lord, help us all just to keep the main thing the main thing. It's about you, what you've done for us. We love you so much. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll